You know, I've been serving on a church staff for over 33 years. It was right around now, in 1984, uh, that I went on a church staff for the very first time. Christina and I had just gotten married. We cut our honeymoon just a bit short and left the cabin on the Cape and headed down to Texas where I interviewed for a church role and I went on the staff of a church called Grace Temple Baptist Church in Denton, Texas, working with college students in late August of 1984. And, uh, you know, unlike a lot of my colleagues, I, I have really loved every aspect and enjoyed every phase of ministry that God has placed me in through those 33 years. You know, I, I don't know if you know this, but the vast majority of pastors would say that serving in ministry has killed their self-esteem. They feel beat up, torn down, and ripped apart by ministry. And that's not been my experience, and I'm really grateful for that. Those first three years when I was in Texas serving on the staff, we, we just had a, a great experience, great people to serve with, great friends, and, and I just learned a ton. And then we came back and we planted a church on the South Shore. I was 27 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. I just... If, I, if, if it was something you could try, I just tried it. And lo and behold, God used it, and we built some great friendships with people, and we saw God move, and we saw some great results, and we were able to build a church facility and some other stuff, and it was really wonderful. And then, then just out of the blue, in a time when I was really kind of ramping up for the next phase you know, of ministry at the church in Hanover, uh, God called me to serve on a regional staff where my ministry was to churches rather than in a church. And in that journey, you know, I just, boy, you know, it was just really great to be able to see the kingdom at work from a large perspective. You know, sometimes you go to some churches and they were really struggling and they were dealing with stuff that, that really was kind of trivial. They were the, the molehills that they had turned into mountains. But by and large, you got to meet lots of folks who were really passionate about seeing the kingdom take root here in New England. And in our particular denomination, you know, that, that really has happened. You know, from the, the first church being started in the late 1950s to now approaching 400 churches in our region that worship in well over 20 different language groups. It was just great to kind of get to see that for a while. And then somewhere in the middle of all of that, God threw me a curveball and asked me to start this church here in New England. And he used some folks from this community that were lived in this region, had been worshiping in a small fellowship, said, you know what, we, something different just needs to happen. And they challenged Christina and I to take this role on, and God led us to do it. And we've been here for 15 years, and it's just been a great journey. You know, we've met a lot of great folks over the journey, a lot of just great friendships, seen God do a lot of things, and et cetera. But, but, but I want to be confessional with you this morning. You know, and, and throughout those 30-plus years of ministry, I've always just been eager kind of to, you know, and just trying to, but in the last couple of years, I, I've had more of those moments where I'm kind of saying, boy, you know what, I can't, I can't wait for the time when I can lay down the challenge, pass on the reins to the next generation, and I can sit where you are instead of where I stand. And part of that is because I'm just getting weary because of some of the dynamics that are occurring in the life of the church. And in the way that, in many ways, our, the culture is dictating some things to us, and we see what is happening in the life of the church. And in particular, it has to do with the area of our sexuality. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's really a, a, 
an interesting dynamic, but but it's just been this this incredible onslaught of stuff that comes in, and it's it's really bad, you know. And 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 after a while, it just gets so heavy and burdensome, and it and it just seems like it's a you're pushing a huge boulder uphill, and every time you get it six inches up, it rolls another six feet back, and the journey just kind of it gets so hard, and and people don't really want to listen or take it seriously or whatever, and you know, and it, and it comes in all different shapes and sizes. You know, sometimes we, you know, we think, well, it's pornography, and it's, it's certainly that. You know, the statistics say that the, the average male between 18 and 30 years of age, that more than 75% of them are consuming pornography on a regular basis. They're objectifying their sexual desires, turning it into lust, and just acting on it. And they even say that in, in, in a typical church like this, one out of three men... One out of three sitting in this room today are regularly consuming pornography on a regular basis, even though they claim to have a relationship with God and really and probably sincerely kind of want to walk with God, but, but they're just doing all that. But it's not just that. It's, it's, it's the marriages where you know, they're married, they're, they're walking in faith, etc., but, but this, this wonderful gift of sexuality that God gave to build up and renew and connect the oneness is tearing marriages apart. It's not building them up. And it's just, it just feels like, oh, this weight that you're holding. Unfortunately, you know, we have, we have teenagers who are with us this morning, We've seen this in our 15-year journey. They'll be very active in the church, go on mission trips, participate in the Youth Sunday, you know, active in a lot of our stuff, going to YAC, they're baptized, all that kind of stuff. The vast majority of them will not be celibate until the time that they're married. They will be sexually active before they ever get to their wedding night. The vast majority, and, and a good percentage of them will actually move in and start living with somebody else before they ever get married. And, 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 and so all of this just kind of just weighs in as a part of me and say, you know what, I, I, I'm just, I, I don't know how to fight this battle anymore. And, and it's, it's a part of me saying, you know what, where's the, where's the 30-year-old who's ready to come in and take this job and I'll go play golf and I'll just come on Sunday mornings to that church in South Carolina that only has church every other week that I told you about a couple weeks ago. You know, and, 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 but this is a profound thing for us. So some of you this morning say, well, what did I walk into this morning? That's because you don't read your e-letter, right? <laughs> because today we're going to start a series, and, and we're really still in, 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 in a discipleship type of season in the life of the church. You know, there's certain times in the church where newer folks are kind of connecting, they're getting ready to kind of come in for Christmas and Thanksgiving and that kind of stuff, or leading up to Easter, but there's other times where it's usually more the, the rank-and-file believers who are coming, the, the time when you're really speaking more to Christian, and we're still in that season, and, and so I'm going to start a series today um, entitled Sex by the Good Book, title I've used before, and we're going to really try to take an in-depth look at some of the things related to what God teaches us about human sexuality, and ultimately my desire is for us to be able to fulfill what God asks us to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I will warn you up front that this is going to be more of a biblical message than it is going to be an exegetical message, okay? And um, and so you know the ones who get up and go for the bathroom break who don't come back, you know they fit in one of those, some of these categories that are there, you know? Because 
listen, let me, before we even get into this, I stand up here and I believe that God is trying to speak through me to you, but I want you to know that God is also speaking to me like he's speaking to you. I'm not above needing to hear and live out and practice these truths. I'm not. You know, it's not like I've arrived at the top of the mountain top and I can say, hey, you know, it's the same struggle to move forward. Some of you come into this and it's like, you know, this is, this is for the person down the row from me, right? This doesn't really apply to me. I don't have any of those problems. You know, others are like, you know what? I, I don't want to deal with this because it's just too convicting or others like it's irrelevant and those kinds of things. There's, some of it just makes you squirm. It's like, you know, talking about God and sex in the same sentence, it just doesn't seem right, right? You know, and, and so we have all these kinds of things to it. Listen, just, just, just chill out just a little bit, all right? And, I, and I'm just going to try to be very direct without being the least bit trying to be provocative or salacious or whatever. And so today we're going we're to we're look at a kind of an overarching message. And then next week we're going to try to look at what does the Bible really tell us about how God designed sex? So it's the theology of sex. All right? And go tell that to your workers, your colleagues on, on Tuesday morning. Say, hey, we're going to have a sermon on the theology of sex on next week. And then, and then we're going to look at the role of sex in relationships and marriage. And, then at the, and that will be the last week. And, and the, the third week in between there, we're going to try to talk about how to keep sex from being a three-letter word. Not S-E-X, but S-I-N. And so how do you really possess your sexuality in a fallen world, okay? And we're going to try to look at those three things as we move forward. And I am praying about whether or not on the last Sunday of our series that I should just have a Q&A time after church, but that makes me a little nervous, especially if I let you text or email or, or just write out the questions in advance, but it may be something we really need to do. Uh, this, this, just an overarching theme verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is page 972 in your pew Bible. If you don't have a pew Bible with you, there should be one right underneath your chair. If you're using, this may be, you know, if you're using a device this morning, maybe one you want to highlight, you might, something you want to circle in your own Bible, whatever, but verses 19 and 20 of chapter 6, and we're going to come back to this text in a couple of weeks, but this is what God says to us, to the Apostle Paul, do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify or honor God in your body. And I want to submit to you that the things that we need to consider today and in the weeks that flow from this, that if we don't grasp these things, integrate these things, and live these things out, it is impossible for us to honor God in our bodies. And we are going to expose the presence of God within us to stuff that is just grotesque in his eyes. But on the other side, I want to say that God has given us this gift of sexuality that when we possess it actively, we actually can have a really great sex life and really honor and glorify God in our bodies. And we're going to look at that journey as we go through. Now, I know some of you are single, and some of you are married, and some of you hope to be married, and some of you regret being married, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and, 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 and I'm going to try to make applications to everybody as we go through. But I 
there's, there's two realities that as this journey has kind of ramped up for me in the last three to five years, really coming much more acute in the last couple of years, there are two realities that really stand out to me that I think are, are biblical, but, but I want to kind of expand out just a little bit for us today. And, and here, here's the first thing. Here, here's the first truth that, as I see it, is that unless you have made an intentional and a deliberate decision to live by God's design in your human sexuality, you are not. You don't live, you don't possess, you don't honor God with your body just by accident, right? It is a deliberate choice to say, I'm going to look upward to God to figure out what he says about human sexuality, how I'm supposed to possess mine, how I'm supposed to live it out, how I'm supposed to give it away to my spouse. I'm going to look to him, and, and if, we're not have, if we have not made that specific decision, then we are not. It just doesn't happen by accident. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where, where if we haven't intentionally grasped and sought out and read through and understand what it is that God has shown us about this marvelous aspect of being made in his image. Because, you know, to be made in the image of God, it says, you know, he made a male and female. We're going to go look at that in a future sermon. But he says, let us make man in our image. And so he made them male and female. That somehow in the, in the relationship between the male and the, fa- the female, as it works it out, it somehow allows us to participate, to reflect, to experience the unity of God. And, 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 if, and if we're not looking to him for that source, then we're just making our sexuality about us somehow. And I got to tell you, we, 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 we are so immersed in sexuality in our world, right, that, that there isn't any way for you not to. I mean, if you have not made a deliberate choice, if I have not made a deliberate choice to say, I'm going to let God determine what I believe and what I try to live out about human sexuality in my life, et cetera, then, then I'm just picking up all my vibes from the world around me. And so I'm looking inward for the answers, and all of that is flowing in from the world outside, and, and you, just, you just see the impact of all of that, and we see that in the church, that that's ex- very much what has been happening and will be happening in the church. The statistics show that, that the, the, the practice of sexuality among believers in the church isn't all that much statistically different than the world. And what that would mostly tell you is that the church, the people who make up the church, haven't really made the conscious, deliberate, intentional decision to say, I'm going to to look to God, figure out what God says, and then I'm going to do it. And so then the rest of it just kind of seeps in, and we just kind of do life the way it comes, the way we see it in the world, and it just keeps flowing. And you know what? In the church, for the most part, is kind of... We're a, little, we're a little chicken sometimes to deal with this issue. You know, I, I got looking back through my notes, and to my shame, we, we haven't done this series, in nine, we haven't had a series on this in nine years. Nine years. 
Now, there's been some applications and illustrations and that kind of stuff that have gone with it. And, but in terms of actually just dealing with this subject and giving a good, thorough, biblical foundation for people to say, yeah, that's what I want to commit to, that's what I want to live to, we haven't done that in nine years or more. And, and, and so there's a lot of different pieces that flow through all of this. But, you know, to a certain extent, that's true about a lot of areas of our lives, you know, in terms of our financial lives and all kinds of other things, if we don't make a deliberate choice to embrace God's understanding of it, then we're going to land up living like everybody else around us. And you can see this happening in and out of the Old Testament as the people move into the promised land and they're do, living like everybody else who's already there and that kind of stuff. But, but here's the second reality, and this is the one that, that depresses me, if you will, that weighs on me. And, and here's the reality. He said, I, and, and this, is, this thought isn't original with me, and I'm grateful that God brought it into me because it brought it into my consciousness for me to process because so many of the different things that I was sensing and feeling and trying to figure out and praying through, this, this one phrase just kind of brought us. What, the, the, what you and I believe about human sexuality and about our sexuality is going to determine what you believe about God, about his word, and about the place of sin in your life. If you don't get this right, it's like you just have this gaping hole in your defenses, and the evil one's going to take advantage of it. And that's happening over and over and over again in the lives of people. They haven't made this intentional, specific commitment to to practice their sexuality, to, to possess their bodies in a way that God has designed. And with that, they, they, they've opened themselves up. And because of the way, the way they see their sexuality, they say, nah, that, nah, nah this, not to this, you know, God can't do this, God doesn't do this, God isn't this, etc. And, 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 and it just kind of goes on and on. And, and so, let me give you an example. And, and, and again, this is one of those things where it just feels like, you know what, Who's ready next to step up? I'm ready to take a seat on the bench for a while. We, we, we had a couple come in here for a while, uh, a little bit of an older couple. They, they hadn't been in church in a long time, and they started coming to Hope Chapel, and they just loved it. They, just, they loved the music. They loved the messages. They felt like their spiritual lives were taking significant steps forward. They, they got their adult child to start coming, and, 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 and they were inviting their friends and all this kind of stuff. And, and they were a big cheerleaders of Hope Chapel and the way God was speaking to them through the ministry that we do here at Hope Chapel. Somewhere in that journey, over a year and a half to two years, they, they decided they came to one of our ministry partnership classes. It's kind of a step to say, okay, I want to be a part of the team that figures out who Hope Chapel needs to be now and forever kind of thing. And so we worked through our statement of faith. And lo and behold, at the very end of our statement of faith, based upon the things that we're going to learn in the next few weeks together, they, they saw our statement on family, that we believe that marriage before the eyes of God, as revealed in the scripture, is between a man and a woman. And, and, and so the the questions started to come in class like, well, where do you get that out of the Bible? They, they didn't even know it was in here. But so, well, well, we have some friends that we think are really healthy and normal and et cetera, and, and what they're doing can't be sin. And because of that, they stopped coming. And now they're going nowhere. 
what they've already made up their minds about their about human sexuality determines what they believe can be right and wrong in the eyes of God, what God's word says, and how you're supposed to live your life. And 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 you you can see this over and over again happening in the lives of people. And and I I got to tell you, it's one of those things that you and I, I, I part of this whole journey is we need to get our attention about this stuff. And and listen, I'm not I'm not trying to to. To, to be a, a killjoy. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to be harsh. You know, I, listen, I, I believe every single person on the planet, no matter what issues they struggle with before God, is precious in the eyes of God. And I should not treat them any differently except for the ways that I pray for them and maybe the ways that I witness to them. Besides that, I should treat them exactly the same. That's what I believe. You know, and, and so I, I, don't, I don't think... We are all sinners in need of grace. Absolutely. Whether, whether they're cohabitating together outside of marriage or they're sexually active outside of marriage or, or any other kind of issues, whether they're, they're married and, and they're just fighting about it, they're denying their spouse or vice versa, or any of that kind of stuff. We're all sinners in the need of grace. And, and the only difference it makes in terms of the way that I think about them and care for them is 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 it just changes the way I pray for them and maybe the way I try to serve them, depending upon the context. You know, I've served on a, on a, on a Simcoe group here in, in Sterling for a long time. It's an elementary school here, and so it's a school improvement council, and they have to have some people from the community who don't have kids engaged anymore, and I've been doing that for a decade. You know, and they have these constant emphases, and, 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 and I, I agree, you know, about kindness and respect and love and accept, all those, and I embrace all of those. Now, they may want to take them. Some people may want to take them to places that I don't think is the best. But I, I think all of those are fundamentally correct. We need to treat everybody. But i got to tell you, if you and I don't make this deliberate, intentional decision to say, I want to figure out what God says about this, and that's what I'm going to believe, then i got to tell you, we've already started to limit our faith and the impact that faith can have in our lives. We've started to define who God is before we even started to talk to him. And the list just goes on and on and on. I'll give you a couple of examples. Now, we just read the fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? We've just read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that if you are a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, you have the presence of God living within you in the person of the Holy Spirit, and your body has been bought with a price, and it is not your own. It belongs to God, and God says, I want you to honor me with it, Okay? And then we step out and we say, I'm just going to live this way anyways. You know, whether it's, you know what, and, and, and you hear all kinds of stuff. It, and it's like, you know, we, some of the networks, you know, we have kids who are in their mid-20s, right? Mid to late 20s. What you hear sometimes through those networks or their friends is, you know, how can you know you're sexually compatible with somebody if you don't sleep with them before you get married? You ever heard that one? Just wait till your kids get older. You know, or, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know what? God does not have the power to guide me and show me who it is. And the only way we can be successful is if we're compatible because commitment doesn't have anything to do with it. And it is, and you are already dictating what you believe about God from the very beginning. Let's just, just a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 7. And in the context of what we just read, right? 
Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you're spiritually sensitive, this might keep you awake at night, okay? Matthew chapter 7, this is page 819. We're going to be in verse 21 and following a few verses. Verses 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You, you might have been singing today right on key about all the great things about God, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. But when we grab our sexuality, take it away from the Lordship of Christ, we're already saying, God, I, I can't trust you to be Lord over me. I love you as an insurance policy, so when I get into trouble, you're going to help me through the hard times. You know, when I die, you're going to take me into, you know, into heaven. I, I love the insurance policy side. You know, God, you can actually kind of even be my boss, that when I'm on the job, right, I'll, I'll do what you say, but when I'm on my own time, but, so many who say to me, Lord, Lord, will not, will, will, um, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many, I hate that word, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name. Didn't we go to church on a Labor Day weekend? And we did miracles in your name. And then I'm going to announce to them, said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. You know, when, when, when you and I say, you know, listen, sex is a very personal thing. I'll just figure it out for myself. In the church, God's word, God himself, it's just about me. When We're already saying, this is the kind of God that I'm going to believe in. This is the kind of God I'm going to follow. This is the kind of God who can do the things that he can do. And, and, and it just goes on and on. And, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's the young person who's saying, well, how do I really know that they're going to be a great life partner if I don't sleep with them in advance? Or it's, it's the older person who says, you know, I'm, I'm divorced now or, or a widow or whatever, and I just don't want all the entanglements of getting married together again and all that kind of stuff. And how are we going to separate out the estates between the two separate kids? Let's just, let's just kind of, you know, go out on dates together and sleep together and all that kind of stuff, and we just won't worry about it. That stuff happens. People that I know who claim to have a passion for Christ, that's the way they live. And, and it's, it's already saying, well, you know, God can't figure that all that stuff out, and the list just goes on and on. It, it can even come down to folks saying, you know, uh, you know, I experienced sexual abuse as a child or as a teenager or whatever, and now, because, and now that I'm married, I, I, I just can't be normal in my sexuality. And listen, I'm, I'm, I want to tread very compassionately, but I want to tell you, God can heal. And and it's not, it's not to, 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 to say it's not significant, it doesn't matter or whatever, but God can heal. But time, sometimes we just say, well, you know what, this, this is me, and God can't touch this. He can't ever fix this. And, and what we believe about our sexuality determines what we believe about God, and then we wonder why we have a God who's kind of impotent and can't really do the stuff that we really hoped he could do in our lives and in the lives around us. And I think it also believe, has a dictate, determines what we believe about the Word of God. When, when you and I don't intentionally say, I'm going to look to God, I'm going to look to God's Word, 
to let it communicate to me what I believe about our sexuality, it, it already determines the way that you're going to process the Word of God. Uh, and first of all, it'd be interesting to take a survey, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but, uh, but how many of you, you know, how many have read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Just read it all. See a few hands, right? You know, my, my, my oldest son was a huge Harry Potter book fan, right? And he, he, would, he would get a book, and he would go in his room for the weekend and just read the whole thing. It's like, what, 600 pages, a lot of those books, right? They're just big, massive, thick books. And it's not like he said, well, I'll read chapter 4, and then I'll read chapter 11, and then I'll read chapter 17, and then I'll read chapter 33 through 39, and then, you know, it's not like he jumps around. He reads the whole thing to figure out the whole story, right? And, and we need to read the whole Bible, right? But a lot of us, said, well, I want to read about that part where Christ died for me, and he loves me, and God's grace is going to take care of me, and one thing, all things work for the good of those. Those are all great truths. But there's other places where, boy, we've got to read the whole word of God. And uh, again, I, I want to wade into an area that our society is dealing with. In many ways, some people think the, the, the issue is deciding this behind us. And, and, and maybe it is for our culture, but God help us if it is for the church. And, and that has to deal with the idea of, is, is, is acting on same-sex attraction right in the eyes of God? And listen, I, 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 some of us sitting here today, we have siblings who struggle with this. We have children who struggle with this. We have we have you know, extended family members, cousins or whatever, aunts and uncles who struggle with these issues. I want to go back to my statement before. God cares as passionately about them as he does for us. He just does, right? But sometimes when we start with our definition of what's right sexually out here instead of up there, then it determines what we believe from here. And and just, let me just lay out, uh, uh, you know, just, I'm not going to ask you to turn, but let me just read this passage of Scripture, right? And, and, and it's one that if you've been hanging around church, especially as a little kid, you certainly came across all kinds of good things, and, and I've spoken about it here. But all Scripture, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God gave us this resource to guide us into everything that we need to know to be the people of God. And then there are some places in here that are, that are pretty harsh when it comes to some of those issues. And, and we could process some of this separately and... and But Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, just, just, let me, again, you don't need to turn. You can make a reference if you'd like to. It says, you are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. And the next one's even more interesting. It says, yes, you are not to have sexual intercourse with any animals. Right? You know, and so this just kind of goes on. So that was in the Bible? Holy cow. You know, and... I didn't use the cow reference in relationship to the animals. That just kind of slipped out. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be facetious, but... And then, and, and then you, you turn over to Romans, right? 
And, and again, do, do you accept that this is God's revelation to us, saying, I'm trying to give you the word so that you can experience the abundant life that I've come to give you in Jesus Christ? And it says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, this is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural sexual intercourse for what is unnatural. The males in the same way also left natural intercourse with females and were inflamed in their lusts for one another. And so males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their perversion. You know, and this was written in a time, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote in the first century, homosexuality was far more prevalent than it was today. You know, in the, in the Roman Senate, they used to tease one another about, well, which, which man do I need to sleep with in order to be able to climb the, cha- the channel? That's the way they looked at it. I mean, it was, it's a very different world. But then yet, God said, you know, th- th- so is this the word of God? So, and, and, and I got to tell you, it's, 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 it, if we don't get the upward, the rest begins to change. I, I got an email from what many would say was just a, a fairly effective lay leader, right? And, and this is the, we're talking about this issue. And, and, and here's the email I got was, when it comes to the Bible, it says, I believe 100% it gets it dead right about Jesus being the Son of God, the virgin birth, his perfect life, his, his, his um, death on the cross, his resurrection, the fact that I can experience eternity to all stuff. I, I, I agree with that 100%, but when the Bible comes to homosexuality, it's wrong. Period. It's just wrong. What they had concluded already determined what they believed about the Word of God. I, I, got, a, I got a letter from a, an email from a... I wrote a column at one point when the, the Supreme Court um, uh, legalized same-sex marriage for our nation across the, across the, across the nation. And, and, and I, I just wrote kind of like an interpretation piece. And I got an email from a pastor that I really didn't know all that well. And, and he just said, you know... Don't you know the, the Bible's really not supposed to be taken word for word? It's just a rough guide to show us how to love people. And, and it is. But what we believe about our sexuality is going to determine what we really think about this book. And, 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 and as far as I'm concerned, if, if, if I can't believe some of this, I can't believe any of it. It's the way I look at it. I, I, I got to tell you, if, if, if some of the stuff, if the guy who told us the most about how grace satisfies the requirements of the law is wrong on these other points, then how can I believe him about any of those points? And, and it's just, it, it, it's just big stuff. You know, I, I think it also, it just kind of looks at, at, at our impact of, 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 of the way we see sin. And, and here's, Here's part of the grief, again, that comes, right? Is that we, we as a church often, myself sometimes as a pastor, just, you know, that's just the way things are. So we just want to normalize sin. We're not going to change it. So let's just accept it. And we just normalize sin. Everybody's doing it. It's the only way I'm going to, you know, and we just, we just accept it. Or... 
and, and, and this is what breaks my heart more than others, because I had somebody say to me sometime, you know, you, you, you deal with these issues and you hold to this position, you're going to lose the church. You're not going to have anybody there to worship anymore. And, and, and you know, I, I, I really had to think to myself, you know what, I said, you know what, I'd rather, I'd rather close it down and sell off the building to the boys' club than ever tell anybody what is broken is actually whole. I don't want to do that. And I want them to be whole. I don't want to give up on them. I'm not passing judgment on them. I don't think I'm any different than them. I need to be made whole too. But I'm not going to say broken is whole. It's just not. And, and yet we, we struggle with all of that, and, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Because as a child of God, you have to be passionate about people. And... And I tell you what, if you ever think that I am treating somebody who has a different kind of lifestyle disrespectfully, you let me, you let me know, because I, I, that's never my intent. I, I don't want to ever say to somebody, this is okay in the eyes of God when it's not. I don't care if it's related to giving or their sexuality or how often they share their faith with other people. I don't want to ever tell anybody that what's sin isn't sin. I don't want to ever do that. I don't want to say that to myself primarily. But at the end of the day, somewhere along the line, we have to determine out what we really believe about our sexuality. And what, what things to say, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. And yet somehow it's determining all the rest of our spiritual direction in our lives. Because it's determining what we believe about God, about God's word, and about the place of sin and righteousness and all that kind of stuff in our lives. So my challenge to you today, this is a great uplifting Labor Day sermon, right? Yeah, well, I'm glad I came to church today. You know, it's is I just want to invite you to make the determination to define what's right in the eyes of God related to sexuality from Him. Get your definition of sexuality from the upward look, not the around look, and not the inward look. And it starts with a step of faith. It starts with a step of faith of embracing the Christ who came to deliver us from the power of sin in our lives in all of its shapes, sizes, and forms that it comes. And I need it more than you do. Here's the second thing. And this may be to some of us who are, you know, I'm a believer and I got this under control and this and that and that kind of stuff. And we're, we're you know, that kind of, is, you know what? As a church, kind of more collectively, like in our nation, we, we just, we just, um, we don't, we don't have a lot of moral authority. And there's probably a number of different reasons to that, but here's, here's one of the things I want to challenge us with, okay, is that we could be seen and probably appropriately so, we can be seen as saying to the world, you need to practice self-denial. But when we don't practice self-denial at a vigorous level in all areas of our spiritual journey, I mean, Jesus said, if anyone's going to come after me, he's got to take up his cross daily. And for a lot of us, hey, you know what? I'll just do that for a week before Easter and then I'm good. You know, it's, uh, we got we to practice the denial of self every single day 
in our emotions, in our thought presses, in our priorities, in our stewardship, and right on down the list. And it's only as we actually begin to practice what we preach that we're going to have any moral authority to tell people there's a better way to live before God. And God's grace and his power can heal and set free so that we really can have abundant life. Let's pray together. God, I make a simple request of you. We've heard a message. Some are going to attribute it to me, not to you. Hopefully, and I believe it comes from you. God, I I pray that we'd be able to receive your message today. Not looking at you as a hater. The one who wants to just limit and restrict and control and this and that. But God, I want us to see you as a liberator. God, help us to see this word to death today as something that you want to use to set us free. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to include our service with a song, and then you can finally leave and escape this message. And, uh, but let's stand, and our ushers are going to come and receive our offerings, and you can put all your hate notes in here, and I'll get those on Tuesday when I'm back in the office. So let's stand and sing together. <laughs>